Hello and welcome to the Browns Blitz. Today is Tuesday, December the 8th. I'm your host, Rod Bloom. Got a great show for you tonight. Uh, joining us today, first of all, is my brother, Jeff. How are things going, Jeff? Nine and three, Rod. Couldn't be better. That's right. That's right. And we've got a special guest. John Cahill is with us all the way from Ireland. John, how are you? I am great, Rod. Fantastic to be with you guys. Instead of uh, just like uh, Jeff alluded to there, nine and three etched in very freshly in our brains here at the moment. Soon to be soon to be ten and three. Ah, uh, yes. Yes. <laughs> we're uh, we're jumping all the way to the end of the program with predictions, I think. <laughs> <laughs> but I like it. It, it, it sounds excellent. So, <laughs> yeah, um, you know, it, it, it's great to talk to you, John. We wanted to have you on for uh, quite a while, and, uh, you know, um, it's just uh, just good to talk to you. So, um, first thing uh, we're going to do here is talk about what we're drinking. And we like to let the guests go first. I know you've got a little something special over there. <laughs> Uh, unique to your homeland. So uh, why don't you give us a breakdown on, on what you're drinking? I got I got lots of specials, Rod, lots of specials. I said my uh, my my I actually have a I'm an, I'm one of those lucky people that have a I actually have a beer fridge uh, in my house. <laughs> and, and it's just because my uh, my my significant other is is also a fan uh, of the of the the arts of uh, of craft breweries. So we tend to stock up when we can and have uh, and have selection there but i went with something just just for the night for the night that was in it i went with something very what we might call basically irish i went for a, a can of draft beamish irish stout now i don't know like when american tourists come to ireland they generally end up drinking pints of guinness and that's kind of you, you'll find a pint of guinness in every pub that you go to in ireland you won't find a pint of beamish in every pub you go to in ireland unless you go to cork so beamish would be very specifically local to county cork and it is, um, it'd be like the Guinness's poor relation, uh, the little brother, Guinness's little brother. But as I've got older, I have developed a a taste for the more robust charcoal uh, flavor of this stout. So very charcoaly, very uh, coffee bean, kind of burnt coffee and very creamy head. So it has all the, hits all the right notes for me at the minute. And for a more, a more refined, more mature drinker, it is a, uh, the thing to have on a freezing cold night uh, in December in Ireland. Nice. So, so it has uh, maybe just a stronger flavor to it yes. than Guinness, John. Yeah, yeah. Guinness would be uh, what I would describe, maybe, or what people would generally describe, maybe as a session, a session drink. With regards to it's a bit. I think Guinness is about four um, percent, something like that. It's 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 quite um it's quite light. And uh, it, the the taste of Guinness, you would be a lot more creamy. Guinness is a lot more creamy and a lot more light. This is a lot more robust. It's a lot more sort of charcoal coffee kind of kind of burnt kind of notes off it, like you know from. And just uh, we were talking off air just before we came on. I have a bit of a background in um, in in in, um, in the in the brewing industry from years ago, working as a trainee brewer. Like uh, the ingredients, like sort of that you're looking at like chocolate malt or you know sort of the the burnt malt kind of flavors that you get um from beamish that's kind of what attracts me to it like you know you get a you you, you get a you get a little a little punch you get a little punch off it when you drink it whereas guinness kind of flows down a lot more you know and uh okay. you'd know you had a few of these when you when you've had a, when you've had three or four cans you'd know you'd know you're after drinking them 
<laughs> well, I would think, yeah. <laughs> I, I I usually know when I've had three or four pretty much anything, John. But, uh, you know, I guess it depends how much of a drinker some of us are. Hey, <laughs> I, I am drinking a Southern Tier 2 Xmas uh, Christmas uh, Spiced Double Ale tonight. This is 8% beer. I've talked about this on the show before. If you like the uh, if you like the, the Great Lakes Christmas Ale, give this one a try. It's it's a very good, uh, well done Christmas beer. Uh, I've tried I've tried quite a few Christmas ales, and for me, some of them kind of taste like they like they kind of just threw a bunch of stuff in there, kind of spun it all together, and it really doesn't have any particular flavor to it. Uh, this this beer you can actually taste the spices and the, the different flavors and it's got a very very nice flavor to it um, with all those spices uh, combined um, but you can actually still tell what's in, what's in the beer uh, so so I like that uh, definitely definitely good and recommended uh, Jeff's taking the night off so that's going to do it for for our Blitz Beverages. Now, John, we're going to give you the floor because we like to give our guests a few minutes to talk about their journey as a Browns fan. So we want to hear about why you're a Browns fan, how you became one, and you know maybe just some memories or, or things that are unique to your journey as a Browns fan. Yeah, that's a. It, it's always um. I I, I think it's it, it's a question I'm asked I'm asked quite regularly. Uh, when I come on to pods and stuff, and I'm more than happy to talk about it. Um, but it is, um, it's kind of like a, it, 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 it's a, it's actually a difficult, it's a difficult kind of one to, to pinpoint because I kind of have different stages of fandom with the, with the Browns. I'll talk you through it. So as as a kid growing up in Ireland, we had very little access to uh, live sports on TV. We had two TV channels, and um, we had. English soccer, we had Italian soccer, and we had NFL. They were the three things that we had access to. There was a, there was a review program on every Monday night. I think it was Monday or Tuesday night. There would be a review program uh, of the games that went by. So it would be like a very sh- very short uh, sort of highlights program. And myself and my brothers used to watch it intently. Um, this would have been would have been late 80s, mid-late 80s. Um, so I, I think at the time... Like our, my memories of players who would have been watching would have been Joe Montana, Dan Marino, Jim Kelly, John Elway. You know th- that that was the type of those were the type of players we were watching. There was no real. We weren't really supporting teams or anything. It was just kind of we were all quite into into NFL and was um, always kind of had it there in the background. And I uh, remember as I was getting older, I used to buy this uh, NFL magazine. It was a, I don't know whether it was an American thing or whether it was for overseas or whatever, but it was, it was the only thing that it was the only access I had to NFL media because again we're talking well before computers, talking well before internet. Um, so I used to read this magazine quite intently. And remember one day reading an article about this team that were going to be moved to another city. I remember reading this article and read through the article and. This is this is kind of like the the clincher, really. In 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 Irish sports, we have uh, our sports teams. We have our Gaelic games, or Gaelic football, and and hurling um, that we play here in Ireland. And uh, the, the teams are denoted geographically. So we've we've thirty two counties in Ireland, and each county has a team. 
and each county has a hard border. So if you live inside that border, that's the team you play for. It's an amateur sport, like it's not, not professional. So the notion of a team moving from one city to another was absolutely, to me, abhorrent. I could not understand why you would move a team or how you could move a team, move a franchise, whatever I didn't understand at the time. So the Browns were always kind of in, in, in my in, in my consciousness from then. It was the first time I kind of became aware of the Browns. And I remember the, you know, the, the Ravens coming from that. And I always had I always had a dislike for the Ravens. Even before I was a Browns fan, I disliked the Ravens uh, for that reason. And this is something I think a lot of, it's an, it's an interesting conversation I have with Browns fans every now and then is because Browns fans, a lot of Browns fans tend to hate Steelers a bit more. Or, you know, or if they're from South, you know, they might, might be Cincinnati, whatever, tend to hate Steelers a bit more. But for me, it's the Ravens, it, it, and it always has been. So mm-hmm. next, next thing then, that sort of cut by a few years, and we have... Uh, the franchise coming back, the Browns coming back, the rebirth of the Browns at this point. I was in school, I was 93, 96, 93, I was like 15, 16, and I was old enough to know, old enough to know what things were going down and still watching the NFL. And I started to get into it a little bit more and figure out the draft and uh, looking at how the draft was going. So at that point, I kind of, I kind of, I kind of, um, I kind of hooked my wagon to the Browns at that point. At that point, I was old enough to realize I, I come from a, a rural area here. My father worked in factories, in steel factories um, all his life growing up. We worked in steel factories when we were kids. And that I really, I really felt, I really felt the blue collar vibe that the, the, you know, the, the lunch pail blue collar vibe off the Browns that that just really was for me. And Tim Couch, it was kind of a, a bit of a genesis for that. I remember being fascinated by the draft system. Again, in sports over here, we don't have that. You know, it, it's completely unique um, for the, in the sports world. And I got fascinated with that. So, so from that point, I became a big draft fan. Tim Couch, my first draft crush, as you would call it. And at that point, I was following the Browns, spying magazines, keeping up with the team. Uh, I, I wouldn't have called myself a massive fan at the time. I, they were the team I followed. I kept up with the team, blah, 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 blah. Cut forward 10 years in the advent of the of internet and social media and Twitter and all those lovely things. All kind of fell really nicely into the area where if you want to be a fan of a team from overseas, it suddenly became a lot more possible to engage with a community. I remember the first I remember the first night going onto Twitter and, and typing in Cleveland Browns and next thing just boom, a whole a whole world, a whole world uh, opened up. So yeah. since then I, I would say the last six, seven, eight years, six, seven six, seven years I suppose, I would have been intently following the Browns. Um, I suppose in the seven I probably haven't missed a game in about seven years. Um, yeah, I haven't missed a game uh, in yeah seven years. I'd say um, pretty much like you know everything that's been on. Um, it's 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 kind of like the, the it, it, it it's a difficult one. It's a difficult one to kind of to, to kind of pinpoint. But the 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 main factors, I suppose, and the main reasons were like you know once I, I got hooked with the fan base once I found the fans once I found the community online I was completely sold whereas before yeah. I was I was someone who looked up scores you know and, and had, had a passing interest these are my team blah 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 there was nothing to shout there there was nothing to shout for for you know that time. we're only getting to a point now where we have something to, to cheer on you know in, in my lifetime as a Browns fan but right. it, it, 
it really is the last the last seven years where I felt part of the community. And then I suppose in the last three or four years, I start getting into doing a bit of writing, doing a bit of podcasting, you know, chatting with people here and there. And, you know, it's been a blast. Yeah. And I did, uh, you know, I was so worried about how to pronounce your, your last name when I introduced you that we didn't talk about your podcast. So let's talk, let's talk a little bit about that now, John. Uh, you do the Two Green Browns podcast. Um, why don't you give some information out about that? Yeah, so the, the last the last few years, I suppose, my like um, like I just described there, I suppose I I found people online, got chatting. You know, I haven't I got invited on to before I start doing any podcast at all. I got invited on with, uh, with uh, Paul Brown, uh, our UK number one fan, Paul Brown, um, who's the top fan has the the Paul Brown podcast. Got invited on with on onto his show to do a St. Patrick's Day special uh, a few years ago, and as part of that, he had uh, another guy, another Irish guy on, uh, Neil Dunworth, and that was my first uh, my first encounter with Neil. Um, oh, okay. Um, so myself and Neil actually got chatting after the podcast, but we hadn't been in touch before. And um, Neil's on the far side of the country from me. Uh, we, we don't see each other that often, to be honest. Um, Neil lives over in Galway. It's a it's a couple of hours drive over, so. I go over once or twice a year to to look at look at games over there with himself and the, and the backers crew that are over there. But Neil, himself, Neil got talking and Neil wanted to make a podcast and I didn't have a clue what really went into the podcast. <laughs> Three weeks later, we were buying microphones and recording podcasts. Um, but become <laughs> <laughs> uh, great great friends since. But uh, this last year, we've kind of we've kind of parked the the two green browns really for the year. This year, we've uh, we've started. Um, Ah, we're, we're we're doing we're doing a sort of a, a a cooperative collective thing. We have this uh sort of project going at the minute, the Cleveland Sports Collective. Um, you can check it out on Twitter at Cle Sports Pod. We have a we have a, a little core of guys. We have five or six guys who were kind of sharing the load with, and we're, I think it was sort of an opportunity really to get to to get to know a few guys a bit more. And again, for me, for me, uh, Rod, this is it's all about networking it's all about meeting people and it's all about sharing experiences like this it's not a financial thing it's there's oh, uh, sure. yeah. as as you know rod you know uh getting paid for doing podcasts would be fantastic but it's <laughs> not really and i don't really understand that you know um but it, it's more of a it's more of a fun thing for us i said we we got into we got got a little group together a couple of boys uh, we have a, a people that are into, into the Buckeyes, into fantasy, you know, different different uh, different areas of sports. And we kind of wanted to create a little forum to bring people on who never recorded pods before to get recorded podcasts and sort of just to bring them along and share our experiences uh, with them. And it, it's working out really well. So it, it, it's great fun. We still have, as I said, we still, Neil runs the Two Green Browns, the, the, the Twitter machine still. And we'll, you know, we'll, I suppose it, the Two Green Browns as a podcast is in hibernation. Uh, to, to be to be back in the future at some point, but I said we're having too much fun sharing our experiences with the guys um, on the Cleveland Sports Collective at the moment. We'll uh, you know we we'll kind of rock with them for the moment. Um, gotcha. It's kind of like, uh, you know the more the merrier really in in, in this game. That's right. Yeah, you um, you guys were recording like almost every day or something, weren't you, with the two Green Browns? Oh, we did a lot. Yeah, I tell you, it's kind of yeah. It's kind of the reason why we got more people involved, Rod, to be honest with you, because <laughs> but like you, you know the time and effort that goes into to recording a pod, to producing a pod, and to getting it out and promoting, you know, blah, blah, blah. And when there's two guys doing it, and next thing, we got into a situation where we were we were doing a preview pod with another pod from an, uh, from the opposing team on Wednesday or Thursday night. That would invariably mean 
that Neil was staying up till one, two, three, four o'clock in the morning. Like it's twelve, it's midnight here now for us, and yeah. it's, it's only evening time for yourself there. So very difficult to get people onto pods, you know, into schedule times, blah blah blah. Uh, then fine. we'd have a midweek pod. We might have a guest on. Then we'd have uh, a review pod. You know what I mean? So we we're going three and four pods a week, and it got it got a bit tedious, and, and it got a bit uh, it got a bit tiresome. Now it was good fun, and we thought, you know. It, we fell into a bit of a quality over quanti- or quantity over quality trap, I think. And uh, it, it, when, when it stops becoming fun, that's kind of, you know, you know, time to make all change. Yeah, so you, you need to make a change when you're setting an alarm clock to go off at two a.m. so you can get up to speak to the guy. <laughs> from this podcast, you know, and just because they're in Tennessee, like you know, it's just it, it just it, it kind of gets to a point where you know you also rod at some points have other people in your life that turn around and say, uh, "Are you mad?" You know, getting up to when you have to work. I can see that. Yeah, she's used to Monday night games now. So if you look at the times of the games, like one 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 o'clock kickoffs are perfect for us because that's six in the evening on Sunday. That's perfect. But if you get into Sunday night kickoffs, you get into Thursday night football, Monday night football. That's me going to bed at seven p.m. trying to get up at twelve or one a.m. Uh, going back to bed for two hours at four a.m. and trying to go to work the next day. And that's that rough. Yeah, that's, that's rough. It's oh. and it's, it, it's it it's it's just a reality for fans over here. Like you know what I mean. Like and mm. most most people stay up for games. We're we're quite friendly with some of the other guys that like say there's a couple of Irish accounts. There's one in particular. There's an Irish Bills fan, um, Buffalo Bills. Uh, he's he's very dedicated Bills fan over here. We're quite friendly with Andy, and he's uh like he's the same as us. Just doesn't miss games, you know. And like when you get a bit more popular. Like the bills do, like we did last year with our with our schedule last year, getting on the prime time games. Like everyone thinks it's great, except for Irish and UK fans. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you guys just want the all those one o'clock games. <laughs> yeah, makes sense. Makes sense. So uh, Browns, uh, like we've been saying, Browns went to nine and three on Sunday, and it it was quite a game, guys. Um, Browns forty one. 35 over the Titans, uh, probably depends who you ask. Uh, I don't think it was that close. Uh, you know, some things happened near the end of the game to make the score look a lot closer than it actually was. It's kind of a tale of almost two separate games. You know, the Browns, uh, the Browns, the, the first half, it was no contest. The Browns just really poured it on, kind of did whatever they wanted in the first half. And then the second half, uh, it was kind of the Browns against the clock you know, just to kind of finish the game out. So, uh, you know what, uh, Jeff's been quiet here for a while. Jeff, let's get, let's get a couple of your thoughts on, on the, uh, on the Titans game first, just a couple of your first, um, you know, a couple of your overall impressions first off. Yeah, we, we talked after the game, Rod, about how this was, um, two separate halves. Um, the first half was really the, I think the most complete game, if, if you want to call it a game <laughs> in two halves, um, that the Browns have played all year um, and maybe in several years. Um, offensively, defensively, um, they were really, you know, couldn't do anything wrong. Um, so that, you know, that what happens then is, you know, it, the game becomes so lopsided that, um you tend to relax a little bit and just think, okay, let's, let's just sort of run the clock out now and, and, you know, not embarrass our opponent and, you know, that kind of thing. And, um, 
I think that's just typical of the NFL that, you know, you're, you're not going to win 75 to 14, you know, it's just not how the NFL works. So I wasn't really all that surprised that the second half went the way it did. Um, just because I've seen enough NFL games to know that coaches are going to do that. They're going to put the prevent defense in. they're going to keep the ball uh, in the middle of the field and, and run clock. And, um, I know it's not a fun thing to watch, but you know, you, you just had to take your fun in the first half and <laughs> think about what a great half that was and, and, you know, outlast the other team and get the win. Um, so I'm not at all concerned about how they looked in the second half. And a lot of people are up in arms. Well, they let them back in the game. Well, not really. I, I really don't think Tennessee was ever in that game from, uh, from the time that, um, they, they turned the ball back over to us on, on their first possession. Um, Tennessee really was not in the game at all. So it was a comfortable win over a quality opponent. And it, it made me feel like um, this Browns team can play with anybody. So, John, I want to get a couple of your, uh, you know, a couple of your uh, insights from the game. And I would also like you to, respond to what Jeff was talking about, about, um, you know, about how that second half went. And I just want to get your thoughts on whether you think the Browns were too conservative and whether you think this is just how NFL games go. Um, you, you know, what do you expect and, and how do you think uh, th- that second half should have been played? You think it was done properly or, or what are your thoughts there? specifically relating to the second half run, uh, we have running backs breaking off 70-yard runs and stepping out of bounds at the one-yard line when there's no one going to tackle them just so we don't take a chance, you know? Uh, there appears to be, like, so I suppose, right, one thing, one interesting thing I saw, in, you know, these um, a lot of these stats guys, analysts, there's the... Sort of the, the, you know these guys that make the graphs and stuff that put them on Twitter. I, I love. I can't think of the guy's name at the minute. Something cowboy stats cowboy or analytic cowboy or something is his name. And he puts up these stats on 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 Twitter. And you know the 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 percentage of chances of of winning or losing the game on, on that on that game and the Browns Tennessee game, the bar went straight up just before half time to basically. Uh, the Browns are going to win this game and can't be beaten. And that bar didn't move in the second half. Like yeah. It, yeah. Even the tight those scorebacks, the win probability of the Browns winning that game never changed. Like it, it, they, they weren't coming back. The same happened in the Bengals in the first game. I had friends texting me, going, oh my God, what happened? The Bengals nearly beat you. And I was like, no, they didn't. Yeah, they, it wasn't close. <laughs> what? wasn't the thing wasn't the thing like you know what i mean it wasn't the thing so i think we just have to understand that there's an element of grind there's a combined with an elements of let's call it let's call it the nerds let's call it let's say let's call it what it is the nerds taking over right so people people get all bent out of shape about the whole analytics approach blah 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 like there's someone sitting down going look lads if we run x amount of plays and just don't give up five quick touchdowns the game is over so why why put the ball in Baker's hands, you know, the same amount we did in the first half and risk, you know, take higher risk plays. So like they they're taking the tire, they're taking sorry, they're taking the pressure out of the football. They're, they're letting the air out of the football. They're basically sitting down and pretending and, and sort of not playing the game. That's it's it's that kind of equivalent. They're they're taking anything away from the opposition that can give them 
you know, breathe a bit of life into them. So it's not pretty, but it's pretty effective. It's pretty effective. You know, yeah. like I didn't like the big plays. We gave up some big plays and I didn't like that. And this has been a bit of an enigma this year with this team, really, I suppose, is, is the defense. I'm kind of, I'm kind of, I, I don't really how I don't really know how to analyze them. They they turn the ball over when it's needed, but they give stuff up a bit more than I'd like. Um, but in saying that, Joe Woods has a bit of a patchwork uh, of players there that he has to deal with. So it, it's a it's a right. it's a it's a tough one to analyze. Like the offensive side of the ball was flawless in the first half. You know that that's really the story of the game. That is really the story of the game. Yeah, when you think about this defense and Denzel Ward being out, uh, you know, it's uh, it's pretty much Miles Garrett and, you know, and, and the rest of the guys right now. And I'm not trying to diminish the play of any of the rest of the guys. What I'm trying to get to is the fact that I think in prior seasons under different defensive coordinators, uh, without without naming anybody in particular even, this is the kind of defense where I think where we would have seen them not create turnovers, uh, not really make, you know, many big plays other than miles making some plays here and there. And I I think that, uh, I think that this defense is stepping up more than, more than what prior additions would have done with the personnel that we're seeing. Um, you know, because of the guys, the guys that are out and the fact that there were not a lot of um, additions to this defense in the offseason. I mean, sure, there were additions at linebacker, but these guys are also young. Um, you know, they're really just uh, starting to starting to take shape a little bit. And, you know, we saw some of that just just this week um, and, you know, in the linebackers. But um, I, I just feel like. This defense with the personnel under some other defensive coordinators, I don't feel like we would have gotten anything out of this defense in some cases, other than Miles and Denzel Ward. You'd have got I bought Greg Williams. Greg Greg Williams had had that team had his defense turning the ball over at a pretty spectacular rate, but then look at the last play in the Jets and the Raiders from Sunday. You know, like mm-hmm. it's it, it's. This team, this defense, it is a bit of an enigma to me. I actually have, I actually had a bit of, a, I have a bit of a theory about, like you know, about this defense for next year. I think this defense could be elite next year. I think it could be elite next year. I think we're a year away, and I think we're we're three to four pieces away on that defense. But I think I think mm-hmm. Joe Woods is actually doing such a good job with what he has. Um, and that's like you know we, we have an embarrassment of riches on our O line. We we have you know we have players on on the D line. That's another story now for who's there next year and whatever. Um, but we literally we literally our linebacker core is probably it's probably one of the worst rated in the league. I would imagine. I would imagine from what's I there. Would think it would have to be. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and I can't. <laughs> Like, like, who we run at safety at the minute? We, we, uh, Sindejo and and Carl Joseph. Now we're we're down Ronnie Harrison. That should be Ronnie Harrison, Ronnie Harrison and Grant Delphit. That's that's what our safety pairing should be. Our corner pairing should be Greedy Williams and Denzel Ward. It hasn't been that. We haven't had that, you know. So like, again, it. it <laughs> Sindejo, I suppose maybe has he has he redeemed himself a little bit the last few weeks. 
Well, yeah, I'll let Jeff do you address want me, that. Do you want me to take that? <laughs> and Jeff, yeah, Jeff's you're, a Sunday home guy. Go ahead. You're fine, Jeff. <laughs> well, John, this is this is right in my sweet spot. Um, I've made the, the the statement that as the defense has played better as a unit. Sendejo has looked better as an individual. And why is that? Well, it's essentially because he's not having to cover for everybody else who's not doing their job. So when you see linebackers over the last couple of games actually starting to get back in coverage and, and defend passes, um, you know, that's now something that Andrew Sendejo ha- isn't having to cover for. Um, you know, every time he misses a tackle, it's it's blown way out of proportion because um, by the time it got to him, it's a big play. You know, there were, he's typically playing deep and and he's the last line of defense. So um, I think it's more symptomatic of how uh, the defense is constructed. And, and as you mentioned, missing some pieces, missing some significant pieces. Um, that he has taken this rap. Um, I, I will readily admit that he is not the most talented player um, on the field or, you know, at the position. Um, but I think he's sort of the glue that's holding this patchwork defense together right now um, and trying to keep guys in the right positions and trying to cover for guys who are, are making mistakes out there. Um, so I would love to see us upgrade that position next year. Um, I think you can never have too many defensive backs. Um, we've demonstrated that over the last several years that DBs get hurt. They go down throughout the season. Um, we need to strengthen all of those defensive back positions. Uh, but right now we're, we're playing, with, as you said, essentially a second string at every position back there. Um, yeah. And we're playing with some guys who really weren't supposed to be starters. Um, and we don't have, in my mind, a true ball hawking free safety on our roster. So considering all of that, I think Joe Woods has done an admirable job of, of you know, keeping games close. Um, I mean, this is a defense that's, that's given up. Um, over 3,000 yards in passing and 39 touchdowns and we're nine and three. So <laughs> we're doing something right. And take a quick pause here to thank our sponsors, Skipping Stones. Guys, if you're struggling with gift ideas for Christmas, uh, it's not too late. Just head on over to Skipping Stones on Etsy.com. Just search the store, S-K-I-P-P-I-N-S-T-O-N-E-Z. Lots of gift ideas there free shipping on qualifying orders. Make it easier on yourself. Check them out today. Now let's get back to the podcast. That kind of relates to the enigma I, I was I was saying there, Jeff, like, you know, you look at the you look at the stats, like, you know what I mean? Like what you what you've alluded to there. That doesn't scream great defense. Do you know what I mean? Oh, like, no, it does, no. It doesn't scream <laughs> great defense. But somehow when it's required, the ball pops out or someone gets stopped. Now, not all the time, but when, like, what what has got us, like, I think a turning point in the game on Sunday was um, was it Sheldon or Larry? Larry, I think, getting his hand on the ball and stripping Henry. Uh, yeah, yeah like, that was huge. That was a pivotal play. 
you know, and like that's that's just one play. You know what I mean? That's just one play in the day. And and the rest of the time, then the chunk plays that the defense give up after was there like three or four plays touchdown, three or four plays touchdown at the start yeah. of the second half, like you know. And it's kind of like you're looking at, you're looking at both things and you're going. It, to me, it's it's incongruent. You know, the two things. It's like the two things can't live together. But what I've convinced myself, what I've convinced myself is that it's personnel related, and that. When we get the players back, or when we get an an, an improvement in that area in in personnel next year, that we're going to start looking at elite numbers. And, and I'm I I I I suppose I, I talk myself into into these things uh, quite easily at the moment uh, with the with the current conditions of you know supporting a winning team. Uh, but I can see I, I can see greater, bigger things for this defense on the horizon next year. And even when you're talking about the players like Greedy and Denzel and Delphit uh, and Ronnie Harrison starting on that team, even if we only improve the depth from those guys. Now we don't really know what Greedy is yet, to be fair. Um, yeah. But uh, and and Delphit for that matter. Uh, but you know it it, it is. Um, it is an area that I think we can easily improve on. And as for the linebackers, I don't know. I don't know whether they're going to invest in that position group. I really don't. I think that they might draft again and sort of maybe just keep guys like Malcolm Smith or whoever kind of rotating in around there, the old heads, Goodson, you know, keep, keeping the old heads in around there to kind of keep the, you know, I, what they're looking from that group, I think, is average. If they can hit average, with with that linebacker group, I think that's you know that's the goal really there because they, they they can't really be seeking excellence has to be said. The right. linebackers made some plays Sunday. I mean B.J. Goodson, he seemed to be everywhere. Uh, you know he made some nice plays. You know it's like you're saying there's with things being incongruent. Um, you know they're missing guys. They're giving up big plays, but they're making plays, and then you see guys go out. And we're getting big plays from different guys like uh, MJ Stewart <laughs> plays. And, you know, he had that that pass defense. So first, I'm like, I'm like, who is that? When he knocked that ball down, <laughs> I'm like, Stewart, I'm like, oh, OK. I'm, you know, didn't know he was playing, but <laughs> he had two passes defensed and, and a, you know, and an interception. So to get that kind of uh, performance out of out of a guy who wouldn't normally be playing, you know, I think that says a lot about, uh, you know, it's it's probably Joe Woods and, and the defense he's playing. And it's also it also says a lot about the coaches and their ability to have these guys ready to go. And that that definitely bodes well for the for the future. If the, if they can put in a backup and get a performance like that out of them. Um, you know, it, it's like you said, it's um, I really think I agree with you, John. They they might only be a few pieces away from being a very good defense. Um, but I think that uh, I kind of lost my train of thought. <laughs> I well, kind of I kind of feel like um, like like they're not that like they're not that far away because we're seeing so much growth out. Of, I think we're seeing growth out of guys. Not and, and I don't want to say that this defense is going to keep getting better and better and like shut teams down. But we've seen a lot happen. of growth in this defense over the last several weeks. Right. Um, one thing about the the opportunistic stuff, you know, I've watched a lot of football over the years, and it's it's interesting how 
that stuff seems to be cyclical, right? I mean, you know, you, you go entire seasons where the ball never seems to bounce your way. And then, you know, all of a sudden, multiple games in a row where, hey, we're getting turnovers, you know, things are going our way. Um, so I don't know how much of that is, is personnel, how much of it's system, how much of it's just good fortune. Um, but this year for sure, I mean, I think all those things have come together to help a really sketchy defense keep the team in games. Um, I, I think what you have to be optimistic about going forward is that, you know, this is year one of this system, this coaching staff, you know, um, a lot of the personnel has carried over, but in year two, when people start to figure out their roles, now you can compare yourself to some of the other teams who have run the same systems for multiple years. And you, you see a team like the Steelers plug a guy in and he's productive because it's the same set of requirements year in and year out to play that position. So I think, you know, we're already way ahead of the game offensively um, from a personnel standpoint, productivity. Um, you know, we've got a high powered offense. I don't think you typically both, even on a championship team, you don't get a high powered offense and a shutdown defense. One or the other is usually enough to, to make you a contender. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so, you know, even if we get our defense to a, um, slightly above average level in year two and three of, of this organization, this group of players by adding a few key pieces, um, man, it just takes so much pressure off the offense to, to be perfect all the time. Right. And, and, you know, now you can look better winning some of these games that you're kind of looking ugly winning right now. As as Jeff casually says, year three of this of this system and regime, right, which is completely like <laughs> mind blowing, right, that we could actually get to a third year of a regime. <laughs> yeah, how how nice is that, John? Just uh, just knowing that based on this season, that uh, you know that <laughs> that that Stefanski should should be around for a long time. Yeah, like year two, never mind year three. Um, yeah, it, it's yeah. an it's an interesting point, and like you sort of like what what Jeff was alluding to there. I I, I have a, I have another an, another little hot takey theory that I was just actually thinking about today, um, relating to that. So you think the start of the season here, we uh we finished out our season like we have been, you know, with a bit of uh over the the last the last while we we've had regime change, you know, and end of the year we get a new head coach we get our new gm whatever has to be done and uh we reset the clock and we start again that's what we do you know what i mean that's a mm-hmm. that's what program to accept um as browns fans and then we look over we look over to look over to maryland we look over to the pittsburgh and they have the same coaches they have the same quarterbacks they have all the same front office they have new new draft class that they've brought in that are all going to be fighting for places within the system that's been established for years okay so we as an organization here uh got a very raw deal with all this covid nonsense that we've had to deal with because all of the teams that are firmly established 
they, they, they don't miss too much of a beat uh, starting off the year. Okay, right, teams can't meet. Fair enough. Like, Ben Rattlesberger knows knows what's going on with the Steelers. Like, TJ Watt knows what's going on with the Steelers. And Cam Hayward knows what's going on with the Steelers. He knows what Mike Tomlin wants and what whoever. You know, they, they, they know the drill. We have a whole new organization at the start of this year. Cleveland Browns go out and get twonked by the the, the Ravens and the Steelers uh, in the first within the first two three games, whatever it was. Uh, we played them early and got beaten badly. Actually, I won't forget the Ravens one for a while because I drove to Galway two and a half hour drive over to meet Neil and two and a half hour drive back that evening uh, to sit in a pub that was socially distanced, i.e., there was. 15 people in the pub to watch the game and I was very annoyed I had gone to such effort but anyhow um, with stand on that um, we played teams that were effectively their 2019 teams right so they were they were teams like the Baltimore Ravens that, that like finished well the, the, the Steelers had their had their hiccup but still were the Steelers and, and still were hard beaten. And they come into this year ready to go, blah, blah, blah. Now here we are. We 13, 14, 15, and 16. Now, now all these teams are this year's team. This is your this year's product. We are now seeing from week 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, whatever, we're seeing this year's product. Not last year's. Not the accumulation of, you know, two or three years or whatever. We're seeing this year's product. Right. Have the Ravens improved? No. Have the Steelers improved? The Steelers are in, the Steelers, in my opinion, are, are in a very false position where they are at the moment. You've seen the Steelers against the Ravens last week. That was not a pretty game. You've seen the Steelers last night. That was not a pretty game. The no. Steelers... Steelers had the Bills coming up on Sunday. They have the Ravens. Do they have the Ravens? No, they don't have the Ravens again. They have um, Colts, actually. Uh, another another tricky game for them. So the Steelers have a bit of work to do. So the Steelers do not look like the team that gave us a beating at the start of the season. The Ravens do not look like the team that gave us a beating at the start of the season. And the Browns do not look like the team that received those beatings at the start of the season. So you see, you see where I'm going with this? It's true. The, yeah. the, the, three te- the three teams in question, within the space of, let's call it, 10 games... The Browns have narrowed the gap between the Baltimore Ravens and the Steelers. Are we better? Are we not? Argue whichever way you want. But we have definitely significantly reduced that gap. Give us an off-season. Give us another uh, class of rookies. And give us another free agency. You know, I think there's big yeah. On the way, like again, we're not done with this season. We're not done with this season. There's, there's the, the the door has the door has been cracked open for us to have have a little think and have a little look at winning the the AFC North. You know why not? Why not? You know, think about it at least. You know, mm-hmm. like we beat the Ravens on Sunday or on Monday, and uh, the Bills the Bills turned the Steelers over. That's a one game difference in the in 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 in, in the conference. Why not? Like, why not? Hey, I, I yeah. Just- I want to throw this out for perspective, guys. Um, and John, you 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 alluded to this, um, but Ozzie Newsom was the general manager of the Ravens for 16 years, from 2002 to 2018. Okay, um, generally credited as as one of the best general managers that the league has had in you know recent times. Um, consistency, right? 
Um, and I'll be honest, I had to look this up because I could not have told you who the Steelers general manager was. Can you, do either one of you guys know his name? Does he have a very difficult to pronounce name? No, <laughs> no. Sorry, it's that's Kevin. It's Kevin Colbert, and and he's been their general no. manager since two thousand. No, he's not the guy who's in. They, they don't talk about him. All you hear right. about is is uh, is the Roonies and and uh, you know and the coach. That's it. Right, but but he's been their general manager for twenty one seasons. <laughs> I mean, we're, we're talking about... He doesn't get know, any credit. It's about, the Steelers system that does everything. Right. But, but we've, we, we're, in the, we're in year one talking about competing two organizations that have had that kind of continuity. You know? Yeah. I think it's pretty remarkable, actually, that, that you know, in, as, as you said, John, in 10 weeks' time, we've become competitive with these guys, you know, um, how much better can we be if we had anything resembling that kind of continuity over the next several seasons? Um, I, I think it's a, I think it's an interesting question. And just, just to, to that point, you're saying there's a lot about, um, you know, names being mentioned and stuff like that. Jimmy Haslam's name is very quiet in the background for the last year. It's the place for Thank it. God. You know, <laughs> that's why they're doing well. You, you right. know, like I, I'm glad to think. Like I, my, I, I suppose what I'd like to think is that he's got his hands burned, and he understands now. He understands put the right guys in and piss off. You know what I mean? Like that. That that's yeah. what he needs to do. And I, I think he's got the picture. I hope yeah. so. I think you're right. <laughs> no, everything about his personality says that he doesn't. Because, you know, he, he's only being quiet because they're successful. And then the minute there's any, you know, controversy or, or any, you know, downturn in, in the rate of success, I think he's, you know, he's going to be right there in the front again. So I, I hope you're right that, you know, well, that, that's that not learned. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hey, guys, so let's uh, let's move on to, to the Ravens game. Let's talk about this a little bit. The, the Ravens have lost four of their last five. And of course they're, they're playing the Cowboys tonight. You know, of course the, the Steelers almost lost the Cowboys, but I can't imagine the Ravens losing to the Cowboys. Um, I'll let you guys comment on that if you want, but they've lost four out of their last five. They have five losses, but I mean, their losses are to, are to Kansas city, Pittsburgh, New England, Tennessee, and Pittsburgh. So they don't really have, you know, a terrible loss. Um, but they really haven't looked good either. And and then when you take when you factor in the the way Pittsburgh's looked and and say that uh, the Ravens have lost twice to Pittsburgh, it's not really that impressive either. So um, you know I, I I don't count that first game against Baltimore at all just for the, all the reasons that John was talking about uh, that. I feel like that was like a preseason game for the Browns. So, so who cares about that game? Who, who has the momentum or, you know, who has the advantage going into this game, the Browns or the Ravens? I mean, and, and let me tell you this guys, the, the rest of the Ravens schedule, 
they played Dallas, Cleveland, Jacksonville, the Giants, and the Bengals. So I guarantee you Harbaugh's standing there and telling these guys, you know what? we got five wins left on the schedule. It's going to put us in the playoffs, guys. All we got to do is win these five games. We can beat all five of these teams. <laughs> I think you're right. So, John, what what are your thoughts? Who... Um, the, the, the Ravens can still win five games. We're still finishing ahead of them. You know that's you know well, that's that's that's, true. that's, yeah. that's, that's, that's my initial thought. With specific regards to the game, um, like and, and again, I, I don't really like talking about the schedule that much because we have the same schedule. We've had the like our yeah. wins. Our, our our wins aren't what we would call quality wins, I suppose. When you when you look at the at the win loss records or whatever of the teams we've played. But you can only beat the teams that are put in front of you. And right. how many right. years have we gone out and lost the teams we were expected to win? And 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 we didn't this year. That's the difference, that we're winning the games we're supposed to win. Um, but for, for this game that's coming up, uh, Mark Andrews um, absolutely dominated us uh, in, in the first game. Lamar actually had a good game. Um, they, they ran the ball. We couldn't stop them. Blah, 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 blah. Like you said, preseason game, like what I said earlier, we had a brand new team. They had last year's team rolling in. Like the, the, it, it wasn't a competitive game. It's not the same. Uh, also, we've had a lot of their team uh, on COVID reserve for the last few weeks. They haven't been training regularly. They, they went something like 10 days nearly without being in the facility. They've had a couple of short weeks that all that messing with the game with the Steelers last week. You know, not ideal preparation. Not ideal preparation for a game. Oh yeah, I, I, I'm 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 quite confident. I think that the Browns can win this game. Uh, I, I don't think it's a. I don't think it's a. It's 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 a. It's going to be an easy game at all. But uh, I, I I'm quite confident that we can. I'm actually more confident about this game than I was about the Titans game at the weekend because I was afraid mm-hmm. of what happened with um, with the Raiders. That you know that 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 Derrick Henry the run game right yeah, Derrick yeah. Henry was going to do to us what Josh uh, Jacobs did uh, yeah. we stopped Josh Jacobs in that we just couldn't stop him and that that was my big fear um, for the game that Derrick Henry was going to get in they'd get a touchdown or two and then just run the clock to death um, and and that'd be the end of the game it's very difficult well it had been difficult for this team uh, to compete with that but now. With Baker playing the way he has been in the last few weeks, and the way, like he, he sort of stepped his game up and, and and is playing with a lot more confidence, where we're not we're not running the ball just because we're covering up for Baker's misgivings anymore. That's what was kind of the feeling at the beginning of the year, you know, like trying to protect Baker, trying to keep the ball out of his hand, blah. But that 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 was the kind of feeling or the narrative I think maybe that was spun around the team. That's changed now. You have to respect. You have to respect Baker's game now on yeah. on, on any on any on any given Sunday when he steps out on that pitch there at the moment. You have to respect. You have to respect that game, and um, I think um, I think the Ravens. I think the Ravens' offense. I think has been figured out a fraction, and I think yeah. I, I think teams are figuring out like they're figuring out what to do with their linebackers. They're figuring out to 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 to, to put someone on Lamar. You know, like. Uh, Ingram, Dobbins, uh, whoever has been running the ball, like they haven't exactly, you know, set records uh, in the in the last few weeks with with what they're doing on the outside. You have Marquise Brown uh, giving out after every game that he's not getting the ball enough. Uh, you know, 
they, they, they're getting Des Bryant in. They're like, I'm, you know, now, and I'm saying that now, and Des Bryant's going to score two touchdowns. We'll see. But like, <laughs> Des Bryant, actually, Des against the Cowboys tonight could be a good shout for a touchdown. Um, but uh, it, it's kind of um, like. I'm not afraid of them. Like if we stop, if we stop Lamar getting out of the pocket, and if we stop him getting the ball to Mark Andrews for chunk plays and easy touchdowns, you know, I, I'm not that afraid of the Ravens. Do you know what I mean? I'm I'm, I'm yeah. not that fearful uh, of their game. So you know, I'm I'm calling a win here. I actually the team I'm concerned mostly before we get to the Steelers is 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 the Giants. I think the Giants is a trap game. I think the Giants. I think the Giants' defenses are, you know, they, they weren't they weren't being concerned about. So, you know, it, it's 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 that that's the game. I kind of hold on my breath for at the moment. Everyone has that chalked as a win, you know. Yeah, and the Giants. I think they're still in first place, right? First place team, and and you know they're fighting for something, and they've they've really shown up in some games. So yeah, you you never know what you're getting with the Giants, but I, I agree that that could be a tough game. Definitely. Um, any thoughts on the Ravens, Jeff? Well, I think, first of all, this is an important game from the perspective of playoff seeding. Um, if, if the Ravens win this game, the first tiebreaker is, is head-to-head, right? And they would have us 2 nothing if we end up with the same record. So I think from ensuring a playoff spot position, this game's important. Um, so I hope we play our best game on Monday Night Football. Um, <laughs> for whatever reason, the Browns tend to lay an egg on national television. That's just going by history. Um, I hope that doesn't happen. But um, as far as the Ravens go, um, yeah, I, I think – John's on the money. Um, they're probably thinking about how they can still make the playoffs, what their, their scenarios are. But I believe, in, and you and I have talked about this in the past, Rod, that um, the league has caught up to their gimmicky offense. And yeah. I think, you know, even without outstanding personnel, I think you can put together a game plan to stop them. Um you know, we've done it with other quarterbacks. We did it with Deshaun Watson. Um, I don't see why we can't, assuming Lamar Jackson's healthy and, and everything else is equal, I don't see why we can't game plan like other teams have to stop them. So um, I was much more concerned about the Titans game than I was about the Ravens game. Um, I, I think this is an important game that we, you know, we get up for and we win. Um, and then we're really in control of our playoff destiny for the rest of the season. And, and games like the giants just aren't as important. Yeah. Yeah. I agree guys. I think, uh, I think the Browns have a good shot in this one. So let's, let's go to some score predictions. John, I'd like to let the guests go first. And if you want to give out any stat predictions, is there is there forecast? Is there forecast in for the weekend over there, guys? I don't know, no, Jeff. Do you know the forecast? Yeah, for the um, weekend? we're supposed to have some weather uh, Saturday and Sunday, uh, rain mix of snow, but Monday is supposed to be dry. 
Uh, it's going to be cold in the 30s, but it's supposed to be dry. Okay, okay, okay. Um, dum -dum 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 -dum. Right, I think uh, Baker throwing uh, conservative enough over over 202 touchdowns. I think uh, Chubb for 100 yards and a touchdown and 28 14. 28 17. 28 17. Okay. I like that. How about you, Jeff? I'm going to go 28 24. I've got uh, a 30 21. So I think we're all pretty much on the same, same page. I think, I think that gets all of us to the over, doesn't it? I haven't seen the over-under on this, but it's usually around 40 I don't, something. I don't think there's an over-under out yet, maybe because the Ravens haven't yeah. played yet. It looks like Baltimore, I think, is favored by – it's one point. I think Baltimore's a one-point favorite. How is that possible? You know, we're two and a half games ahead of them in the standings. And they're coming to our building as favorites. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I, you know, so I hope right. that puts a huge chip on the Browns' shoulder. As long as it puts a chip on Baker's shoulders, that's that's enough for right. me. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> and are they, has is, is Jimmy Smith out? Um, did I see? Did he, is, is Jimmy Smith injured, or, or did he get injured in, in, in the game last Thursday? I do not know. I did not get a chance to look at Ravens injuries. I, I was going to, and then I thought, you know what? They're playing tonight. Point, so, so who knows? Yeah. Who knows who will be banged up by you know by Monday, anyways. Yeah, I see why why Teller on the COVID list this evening. Not good news, but um, he's um, he he had a close contact, John. He he wasn't tested positive, so those close contact quarantines can you know they don't necessarily rule you out for this week's game. Is yeah, clear. yeah. He he just needs to provide a negative test, isn't it? Before uh, and, and uh, multiples, I think. But yeah, 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 yeah. Ah, uh, well, hopefully, hopefully that would. A monstrosity of a loss. Probably the best player at his position, with, with regards to on on the team. Do you think he's the? I think as far as as far as um, God, as far as rating goes, he's probably our best player in one position. If you know what I mean, he's probably the the the, the best right guard in the league, isn't he? Isn't that crazy yeah. too? Because coming yeah. into the season, we didn't really know who our right guard was going to be. Drew Forbes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> So, so real quick, John. I think, uh, I think, uh, I think he has. Um, I think he has two. Se Does he have two seasons left on his contract? I'm trying Not to think. His contract or, situation, but he, yeah, because he. Well, he's on a he's on a rookie deal. Is he from? Because he was on a. Um, yeah, he 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 was he was drafted in uh, in Buffalo, wasn't he? So his, yeah, he's his, drafted yes. in Buffalo. I think he has two seasons left at next to nothing. Would you? Would you? I think he's looking extending him already. Uh, yeah, I did. There's a couple of players. I think like this is something that kind of just in in general in general terms. I am, um, I, uh, I'm not really well up on the sort of the, the the wheeling and dealing nature of the NFL. I, I grew up with with say English football, English soccer, and 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 the nature of you know transfers and money and how that all operates. And, and I'm really clued in with that. When it comes to NFL, I'm a little less clued in. And I think that's to do with salary cap because it's a different animal. It's a, it's a completely different thing. And um, you're going to have to get into making decisions, big decisions, 
in in the coming year here for for Andrew Berry, and um, you know, like you know, the Baker. I I had a lot of chats about Baker even in in the last few weeks. A lot of friends, a lot of a, a lot of uh, a lot of my friends here that uh, that that follow other teams or or whatever, they um they are fascinated by what the brands are going to pay Baker, you know, and, mm-hmm. and they they reckon like you know he's not worth this, but he might be worth this, and you know what like and it, it's just it, it it the number there is going to be fascinating with what to come up with. Uh, a lot of these guys we brought in last year were all on one year deals. So we're going to have a lot of turnover, no matter what happens, no matter what happens this year, we're going to have a hell of a lot of turnover. Like, you know, a lot of the guys that were brought in on one-year contracts aren't going to be renewed, and they were brought right. in on one-year contracts for a reason, you know. Um, but the likes of a Wyatt Teller, Wyatt Teller is integral, integral to our running game. The problem is now, Wyatt Teller has played himself into money. Like, he really has. Wyatt Teller is a hot commodity. Take a team like the Raiders, take a team, you know, someone who plays a similar system, the Titans, you know, like a team, a team that wants to play yeah. a heavy game. Uh, White Teller is, is, you know, he's going to be worth so much to those teams. Um, so we have to see, we have to see where the cookie crumbles there. Uh, we have, we're going to end up with a very, very, very expensive O-line. If we're paying Teller, we've paid Conklin, Treader's being paid, Antonio's being paid, we have Willis on his rookie deal, but you know that's for another few years. So uh, it's it's gonna it's it's gonna be interesting. Denzel Ward, uh, Miles has got his money. Uh, Baker is to be paid, and then we get into we get into skill positions. You know what's going to yeah. happen, Chubb? Like that's a that's an interesting it's, one. All it's in a the challenge, game. yeah, yeah. And I'm I'm glad I'm not the one making the, the decision on all those guys. It, it would be tough. Very tough. And I mean, the thing with, with Teller is I think he has two years left on his contract and it's, it's under, you know, it's under a million a season. I can't remember if it's like five, six, seven hundred thousand a season. So you have him really it, cheap Rod. for like two years, I think. He's actually got uh, one year left on his contract. Oh, it was only one just okay. under just under a million bucks. Well, yeah. if it's if it's only one year left, then I think it's probably a no brainer to try to extend him this offseason. Yeah, like it, it's kind of like the it, it's that thing of like you know like what do you what do you value? You know what I mean? What do you value? I can tell you where I think the money's going to come out of. I think the money's going to come out of the wide receiver room. You know? Yeah, 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 yeah. Jarvis, so. Jar- both Jarvis and Odell. Now I think I think we may be married to Odell Beckham for next year. I I don't believe there's any way, you know, out of that. Not there's, with the injury. Yeah, yeah. Like, he, he really can't be traded because of the injury. Yeah, and he, he gets he, his bonus or his money rolls over in March or the end of the season or whatever, and he's not going to be he's he's not a tradable asset. Um, right. with, with the injury, uh, Jarvis money can can be restructured. Um, interesting one. Just to go back to Jeff's earlier point there with Sendejo, just to quickly like you know, um, Sendejo, uh, what people who sell Sendejo to me sell him on is the experience. Putting people in the right places and the the head on his shoulders, you know, and he's he, he knows what he's doing, blah blah blah. I've had more arguments online about Jarvis Landry uh, for the same reason um, mm. for the, for the last few years. So Jarvis Landry, like, there is no secret. Jarvis Landry is overpaid for his production. That's just a fact, right? There's a lot of players mm. overpaid for their production. It's just a fact. 
Uh, we are under the salary cap. It doesn't matter. He's not keeping another player off the team. But yeah. what James has brought to the table, for example, moving Bryant back onto the line, uh, one of the games where, where they were going to give up a give up a flag, I think, uh, at a crucial point, you know, and he moved uh, Harrison Bryant back onto the line or off the line or whatever it was at the time. Uh, the, the the leadership that, that he's brought to the team. In my book and in my eyes, the same like with Sandejo, the value that's it's the intangibles. It's 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 a bit you can't quantify. Absolutely amazing to have around the place. I would actually like them to pull Jarvis in this summer, sit him down and say, Look, Jarvis, we want you here for another few years, but we're going to have to eat someone's eating some of that money or you're changing your contract. You know, can we spread it out over three years? Something. Just change it like, you know, make it more flexible. And if he wants to stay, you know, great. If he doesn't, that's fine. You know, but it's the the money will be coming out of there to pay Teller or to pay Nick Chubb. A lot of people don't believe Nick Chubb is going to get paid. I think they're I think they're possibly going to pay Nick Chubb. I would like to say I'm paying Nick Chubb. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it has to be a reasonable deal, but I would like to say I'm paying Nick Chubb. Yeah, the the arguments though, Rod, when you when it comes in, it's like you know, (laughs) you know, you can't you can't pay a running back and win. I know I've had a million people tell me that. Um, but but not even like you know I on I, I completely understand the logic of the argument, but a stronger yeah. a stronger argument is to say look at all the running backs who have been paid, and it's not pretty, Rod. It's not pretty. You know. No, I, no, I know, but um, you know I, that's why it depends. It depends on the deal. We have yeah, to you know. sense that Nick Chubb is just different, and he's of superior value to the team. You know, it's like with Zeke, you know, getting paid. Like, you know, I, I think, I, I think, you know, I think it's just a bad idea to, to, to pay, to pay Zeke in Dallas. I don't think it's, I don't think it's a good idea, but I think yeah. it's a good idea to pay Chubb in, in, in Cleveland. So it, it, it's horses for courses. It's a different situation, you know. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, I, I hope that Andrew Berry can work out, you know, a deal with Nick Chubb that, you know, that that works for that works for you know, the team and for, and for Nick both, um, because you really can't strap yourself by paying the running back too, too much, but you know, you know, um, I think Nick would like to stay here. Kareem's here and, you know, maybe they could work something out. Let's we'll see what happens. Um, just throw this out real quick, Rod. Um, going back to what we were saying earlier about the stability in an organization. Um, Dorsey had to overpay for Jarvis Landry because, just like John said, he needed that stabilizing force um, with a very young offensive group. So, you know, you you bring a veteran guy, a a leader in like that uh, who can produce and who can, you know, bring the best out in other guys, and you have to overpay. But you can afford to do that when you're in that situation with a lot of young guys. Um, as the as the team becomes more stable and um, you don't necessarily have as many young players, you don't need that same sort of a, a, a an overpaid guy. Um, then I start to look at what the Steelers and the Ravens do as an organization where they start to plug guys in um, into those roles. And, and then you're not having to go out and, and overpay for guys and you're not having to give guys big contracts 
to keep them because it's easier to plug people back into your system. So uh, Andrew Berry is going to have some real tough choices over the next few years because he's just not going to be able to pay everybody. Uh, So it's, it's going to be, it's going to be real interesting to see how, how the team gets, you know, to that next level. Um, and you know, where they're able to do that, you know, where they're able to plug in guys as opposed to overpaying to keep guys. I agree. So Jeff, any closing words? No, I think I just gave them. All right. (laughs) John, anything you'd like to leave everybody with? The thing I think I'd like to leave everyone with, Rod, is look, go and have a look at the list, the, the, the list of teams in the AFC at the moment. Have a look at who they've played. Have a look at who they're going to play. And then assess and have, have, a, have a little think about, you know, who, who are the best teams and, and rank them. And you'll get a little surprise, Rod, when you go and do that. You'll get a little surprise when you go and do that because you'll find you'll find that the Cleveland Browns are way further up that list than you might have imagined. Right. Just even before last weekend, you know, I I think at the moment there is only one team in the AFC that is hands down clearly better than everyone else, and that's the Chiefs. After that, after that. You can make an argument for any team, including the Cleveland Browns, to be the second best team in the in the AFC at the moment. So, you know, I'd like to leave in that little thought. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Yeah, I agree. I agree with you too. Um, it feel, it really feels like, aside from that one team, things are pretty wide open this season, and and that's a pretty good feeling to go along with being nine and three. So I. John, we appreciate you joining us tonight. It's been it's been great talking to you. And we haven't given out your uh, your personal Twitter handle yet. Would you like to give that out? Yeah, you can get me. Um, I think it's JJ underscore or JJ Cahill underscore IRL uh, Dog Pound Ireland. Search either either one of those. You'll you'll get me on Twitter. You'll get the Cleveland Sports Collective at Cle Sports Pod, or you get uh, Neil uh, uh, at the Two Green Browns account. Neil runs the the Two Green Browns account. So you get Neil at Two Green Browns. Um, so you get us all there. You get all our stuff there. Um, anything that we put out basically goes to there. So. You know, we'll, we'll, we'll see more content in the new year. Hopefully we're getting a, a, a weird year. Normally this is the start of draft season for myself and Neil. I haven't looked at anything yet because it's so irrelevant to the practice. <laughs> That's right. right. I haven't either. I haven't looked at a thing. Come February, come February, we'll look at the draft. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds good. All right, guys. This has been the Browns Blitz, and we will catch you all next time.